Um, it, it's interesting to me when the government tells us we can't have service that many of you are like, no, I'm going to come to church, except on the 4th. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <clears throat> I know, that was just a dig. That was nothing. Matthew chapter 6, we're, we're still looking at the church, we're still looking at who the church is, what we're supposed to, who we're supposed to be, uh, how we're supposed to look at this. Again, most of the things that I think that we put focus on and say, this is what we're supposed to be doing as a church, <clears throat> we don't necessarily do biblically. There's a lot of things that we would say, if you just, for example, if you just called up the average church, just pick up the, the phone and just call a church, look online, just random church, and ask them, uh, describe your church to me. It's interesting to me that, that let's say they tell you 10 different things, that, that the way we have designed church and look at church in America now is probably about six or seven of those things easy will have no biblical basis to them whatsoever. They're not bad. They, they can be great things. I'm not saying they're negative or they're, you know, satanic. or That's not any of the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm just saying that a lot of the things that we put priority on in the American church really have no bearing scripturally into what we're supposed to be trying to accomplish. There, there's very few things. <clears throat> we could start with some of the mo most important things that we, we talk about, and, and it's, it has to do with visually, it has to do with um, music, it has to do with uh, even the stuff that we do with lights and sound and all this other stuff. None of that stuff's in the Bible. It doesn't, it's not bad, but it, there, there isn't. And I, and I mention this every now and then, that this, this is my 30th year in ministry. I've been to so many church conferences, church growth, um, development, leadership, everything you can imagine, conferences over the year. I have never one time in one conference in 30 years ever seen the, uh, the speakers, the keynote, anything talk about the reason that we exist is for people to get saved. I've, I've never experienced that. And you guys know I'm particular to that, so I would have been paying attention. I'm looking for that. And, and some of these conferences are good conferences. I, I've gone to like four or five Catalyst, and, and, and not at one Catalyst. And by the way, I really like... Um, Craig Rochelle, I think he's a solid, solid guy. Andy Stanley's okay, but Craig Rochelle, he's solid across the board. And I've never, ever heard any of them in any of the Catalyst conferences talk about, there's never been a, a section, there's never been a, 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 a one of the morning sessions or anything have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ going to lost people. It's, it's, it's not a, we don't talk about how we're supposed to win people to Jesus we talk about how we're supposed to develop and how our, our culture is supposed to be and all these different things. At the end of the day, there are things in Scripture that tell us what the what, what the church is supposed to look like. There, there are, it, it's spelled out in Scripture what the church is supposed to look like. And it's very little about logistics. It's very little about the, 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 um, the, the aesthetics or any of that kind of thing. It's all about your mindset in pursuing God and having to, um, to, to realize the importance of the gospel going to the lost. It's all about those two things. Which, by the way, is our, is our tagline to describe our, our um, mission statement around here. Pursuing God, reaching people. That's, those are the two things that are mentioned in Scripture that the church is supposed to look like. Okay, So that's what, that's what this series is about, is having to say, okay, what is... What is the church supposed to look like? Well, the obvious, easiest place to go to for that in a condensed form 
is Book of Revelation and the seven churches in Book of Revelation. So uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 18 again says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Again, the two focus <clears throat> that we're looking at here is that Jesus will build the church, and when he does, if we'll do what he says, he'll build the church, and when he does, hell cannot tear it down, hell cannot destroy it. And that's what we are looking for as a church. We're looking to be a group of people that, that have power to actually stand up against something that Satan is trying to do. It's not about growing <clears throat> church at Briargate. It's not about the local church. It's about the kingdom of God. And as a local church, we're supposed to be developing the kingdom of God. We're not building our kingdom. We're not building our church. We're not building our uh, culture. We're building the, the culture that is Jesus and the kingdom of God. And if we do that properly, then God will uh, make what he wants us to be in a local sense what it's supposed to be. If we'll just if we'll let Jesus build the church, then who we are will be the right thing. It, we will get to the, to the right place. So our responsibility, our goal, our focus, our attitude has to all be about, Jesus, what do you want us to look like? How do you want us to think? How, how do you want us to act, talk, and be? It's not about whatever options are out there that are being presented to us by either the world or other churches or other things or stuff like that. It's all about, Jesus, what is your word telling us to be? Okay? So that the gates of hell will not prevail again. So going back to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to go <clears throat> to verse 18. This is the fourth church that uh, is mentioned here. And, and it's interesting. If, so, so this, I think this is just the way my brain works. But if you walk down through these, it's interesting to me. There's a few basic things that you can pay attention to that are just like um, little interesting um, developmental things along the way. One is, is the farther you walk down through these churches, for the most part, the list gets a little longer. It's a little more verbose as you process through uh, each of the churches. Now, I don't necessarily have a complete reason why. Um, may, maybe because geographically, these churches are really kind of developed geographically more than they are uh, spiritually. Or whatever. In other words, what order they're in. So, so another thing that I think that's interesting is we, we kind of pick these churches out sometimes and say, well, this is a good one and this is a bad one. I, I don't think that's the right way to do it. Guys, you have to remember at the very beginning of this, when Jesus is talking about, when Jesus is showing John the churches and what he's supposed to do, he uses the lampstand and he says that he is in the middle, that he is in the middle of all of this and these churches are all around him, that his spirit is in these churches. That's an important thing to remember. These are not bad churches and good churches. His spirit is with all of these churches. So that automatically lets you know these are legitimate churches. If his spirit's going to be among them, these are legitimate churches. That I, I don't think that just because there's churches in the area, I'm saying at this time, in the scripture time, of course today would apply too, but just because there's a church doesn't mean that the spirit of God is within that church. Okay, that's, that's, We just kind of have a mentality in America today, if you're a church, you're, you're the same thing. We're all on the same page. Well, we're not all on the same page. Um, there, there are churches that believe that Jesus is the only way, and there are churches that do not. Okay, if, the, if there is a church that believes that Jesus is not the only way to God, then they're not a legitimate church. And according to the verbiage of this, this revelation, 
the, the Spirit of God would not be, or Jesus would not be among that church. Okay? That's an important thing because we've got to make sure that we keep um, kind of an, an open thinking when we're analyzing these churches the way they're written down because they're legitimate churches, but they have issues. Just like we're a legitimate church, but we have issues. There's, there's no difference. And this, this would go across the board. There's no perfect churches, um, but we're a legitimate church, but there's things we've got to work on. That's, that's what he's trying to say. And some of these are fairly deep spiritual things, and so that's the importance of the last few weeks we've been looking at a lot of the, the, the way Jesus is always saying, okay, repent. Don't, don't just let this, whatever the issue is, don't just let it go. Repent. Get back in, in focus and attention to detail with him. Get back in relationship with him. Get back in, in, in understanding that he's in charge and we're, we, we don't get to, we don't have the uh, freedom to make all of these decisions and still be considered a legitimate church. You can make whatever decisions you want, but the, the way you stay a legitimate church with God's spirit in is you do what he says. You don't make free decisions. You go to him and he makes the decisions, Okay. So verse 18, write this letter to the angel of the church in Theotira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Again, the descriptors he uses for himself, they, they directly deal with the things he's about to say to the church. Um, talking about uh, last week that he, is the, um, <clears throat> that he is the sword that cuts both ways. That, that's, that's important for us to keep in mind, that when he describes himself to us, anywhere in Scripture, the reason he's describing that aspect, and it's just one part of who he is, but the reason he's describing that is because he's trying to get us to see something specifically in that thinking process. That, that, so when he says that his eyes are like flames of fire and his feet are like po- polished brass, the, the flames of fire is an easy one to me. He, he sees everything. He can burn through everything. This is like better than Superman kind of thing, that he can see everything. Now, when I was younger, that used to bother me, <clears throat> that Jesus can see everything. Two basic reasons. One is I was doing things I shouldn't be doing, right? The other side is there was, to me, there was a, again, I think I mentioned this two weeks ago, I had this mentality that Jesus was always trying to catch me doing something wrong. So if he could see everything, then even something that might be kind of middle of the road or not really anti-Jesus... Um, anti-God, anti-Scripture, whatever, he would see it, he, he would go toward the you've done a bad thing mentality. That's, that's the way I thought. So there was like no neutral kind of anything. Uh, you, you, it was like 10% of life was potentially not sinning and 90% of life was most definitely sinning. And Jesus was watching this with these flames of fire out of his eyes and these kind of things. This is, this is a bizarre thing. And, and guys, if you, if you are thinking that way, or if you grew up that way, or however you're processing this, remember that when Jesus sees everything, he sees good and bad. And, and, and I really believe this is, I, this is the relational understanding of how Jesus is. I believe that when he's looking at the stuff in your life, if it could go either way, which I don't think with Jesus it does, but he, he's a lot bigger than us. But if it could go either way, I think he's leaning toward the love, grace, relationship side than he is the other direction. This is always the, the reason I say this. is if he, was, if, if he was just trying to be a policeman that kept us all from sinning horribly, then I don't think he would die himself. I think he would let something else die. The reason he dies himself on the cross 
is because it's about relationship. This is about him loving us. And he loves us to grace. He loves us to salvation. He loves us to forgiveness. He's not trying to catch us doing something wrong. But at the same time, there is no, um, there, there is no uh, angst in him that says he's not going to tell us when we are doing something wrong. This is one of the things that I think we've just done a horrible job in the church over long, long time frame, is we've, we've turned um, true, healthy interaction between people where we're trying to help them, we've turned that into judgment and legalism and things like that for so long that it's difficult, and society pushes this a lot, obviously, but it's difficult to go to somebody and say, hey, I, I, I can help you with something. You might want to try this. This is hurting your life. This could help your life. Who are you to tell me? Because we've done this for so long, we've hurt ourselves in this. We've hurt ourselves to the point where we've, we've, now we've swung so far the other directions, churches won't address anything. They won't address any sin. They won't address any inconsistency in society. They won't address any of this kind of stuff because we're not allowed to. We're not supposed to. The, the most common thing that I'm hearing for the last three, four, five months now, I've been hearing this for a long time, but it's, it's overwhelming almost to me at this point. How many people are saying to me, either in person or they'll email the church or they'll, um, they'll send a message uh, to us a couple different ways. And the, the, the common thing is, why will churches not stand up for what is right? Why do we stand up for whatever society says instead of what we know is to be true? Now, here's the thing with me is I don't go to other churches. I don't know who's doing what. I really don't know. In my head, I, I really think that most churches are probably legit. Just from anecdotal evidence, it doesn't appear that way. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. But I do know this. Scripture tells us how we're supposed to address stuff. Scripture tells us how we're supposed to look at people and situations. There is sin. It is mentioned in Scripture. And if we do not address that, we're wrong. We're complicit if we don't address that. That's all through Scripture. You, you say, well, as long as we're not sinning, we're okay. No, there's too much Scripture. I just talked about this in Ezekiel the, the few weeks ago. There's too much Scripture that says you have to address the issues. You have to address sin. But you're also supposed to love people to that grace and salvation and forgiveness. Not, not, not um, verbally abuse them to there because it doesn't work that way. You've you got to be able to love people to this grace. You've got to love people to the cross. You've got to love people to truth. But at the same time, truth is our priority. It's not church of bargain. It's the truth of Scripture. That's our priority. So he says that he is the one with the burning eyes of fire and the, the feet of polished brass. And I mean, this is, this is the king. This is the ruler of all governments. That's where the feet of polished brass and all that. So, <clears throat> uh, bronze. Uh, verse 19, I know all the things you do. Well, he just said he has flames of, of fire for eyes. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I, see, I can see your constant improvement in all these things. I like the fact that not only does he say these things, but then he says, and you're constantly trying to uh, improve on these things. As that, is, that is a major thing that church is supposed to be about. We're not just supposed to be about the things of God. We're supposed to be pursuing Him and studying to show ourselves approved to Him, not to, not to other people, but to Him. 
And, and why are we doing this? We're pursuing him because we love him. We're trying to, to learn and develop and improve in all these ways. Why? Because we love him. Not so that we look better or, or appear better as Christians or can, can write a list of all the things that we've accomplished this week as a Christian. It's not that kind of thing. It's a, it's a relationship thing. Jesus, I love you, and so I'm going to pursue you. This, <clears throat> this is, um, you can break this down in any area of life. Why do you try to do better or be better in that particular arena? Ask yourself that. Why do you try to be so that people see you? Well, sometimes that's what we do. Why, why do you try to be a, a better spouse, wife or husband? Why do you try to do that? Hopefully, hopefully the answer is because you love your spouse. Not because you're supposed to somehow. That somebody else is watching or paying attention or, or, or whatever. I, I talked to a guy years ago, and this, he, was a, he was like a men's director. And uh, he was talking about how the reason that he does things is because men are watching him. And I said, well, there's actually more important reasons than that. He said, I, I'm trying to be a better husband because other men are watching me. I, I don't think that's the reason you should. I think that's a great byproduct. And it's a, it's a scriptural byproduct. But the reason you try to be a better spouse is because you're married to somebody. You, you, hopefully the answer is you love them. That's the reason. Because if you're trying to do it for other people, eventually that will cave. Something in that foundation will cave, and, and, and you won't have that purpose anymore. But you'll always have that spouse, and you're always supposed to be doing the Ephesians 5 thing. Love her. So, so that's, that's the thinking, is that you, we're constantly trying to improve. And, he's, and Jesus, the way he's saying this, Jesus is excited for them about this. He says, but I have this complaint against you. I, that, man, that sentence gets me. I felt like Jesus has said that to me at different times over life. If you have never felt the Lord saying that to you, I don't think you're really spending some deep quality time with him. Somewhere along, this is not condemning. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He is trying to help us. He is, there's lots of layers. One, he's trying to just help us to be closer to him now and, and look more like him now. But there's also this developmental mentality. He's trying to get us to draw closer to him now so that in the future he can use us the way that he uses. And I don't mean future on this earth. I'm talking future in eternity. Future on this earth is part of that first set. But he's also trying to, he's got a plan for us in eternity. Just, just one little tiny slice of it is the millennial reign, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with him just during that thousand years. But after that, there's eternity where we're being used by him, that we are the priests for eternity. That means we're priesting over somebody. God has a plan that is designed that human beings are the priest of the rest. You say, well, what is there besides human beings? I don't know. Please don't say aliens. Are there other things, other creations? Other? Yes, there is. Are they green men from Mars? I don't think so. So pretty sure they're not. I think our Mars rover would have seen them, don't you think? All right. Actually, there are these little uh, crab-looking things that hide in the rocks and come out and kill you. I've seen movies, so I know what they look like. <clears throat> he says, I have this complaint against you. Guys, when the Holy Spirit says that to you, just, just stop and listen. Try not to resist it and reject it. Our human nature does that so strongly. We reject whatever the Holy Spirit tries to convict us of. We don't do that well. I think as a growing and specifically a maturing and a mature Christian, you should constantly, regularly 
be letting the Holy Spirit convict you and change you and develop you. If you're, if you're, not, if you're not being convicted on a regular basis of, of who you are as opposed to who Jesus is desiring you to be, you're not really spending good quality time with him. Because when you get in with him in deeper into relationship, conviction always happens. It happens naturally. It's a passive thing. It's not even an active thing from the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's passive. It's called just getting close to his holiness. And the holier, uh, the closer to his holiness you get, the, real, the more realization you have that you need to step up your game in whatever area. So, so don't resist it. When the Holy Spirit says, I have a complaint against you, listen to it. In fact... I would suggest you ask the Lord. Ask him on a regular basis. Lord, what do you want me to do differently? How do you want me to think different? What do you want me, how do you want me to be different? What, do you, what, what are you doing in me today, Lord, that I can draw closer to you? Show me. And then don't run from it. Embrace it. And obviously repentance is part of this. But also uh, what we would call development. Let the Holy Spirit show you. He'll have a specific plan for you. This is what I want. So he says, I have a complaint against this church. You're permitting that woman. That's a, that's a great start, no matter, no matter who you are. You're, has the Holy Spirit ever said that to you? You're permitting that woman. I know, same with me. So, you're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to leave my, lead my servants astray. This is an interesting uh, transition. See, I, to me, Again, I think this is just the way my brain works. But to me, when you start at the beginning of these churches and you do it, the things that he starts with, he develops throughout the other churches in ways that are unique to that church, but it's a continuation of some of the other things. In other words, last week we looked at the Nicolaitans and how there is a group mentality of turning away from God and, um, and uh, buying into a false doctrine and stuff in a group sense. There are people teaching. They're people believing, that kind of thing. This is the same trail you will always take in your personal walk with Jesus. It'll start macro, and it'll always come micro in everything that you do in your relationship with Jesus. There'll always be the group thing. There'll always be the family thing, the marriage thing. But then eventually it comes to where you are standing before Jesus in a, in a very individualistic sense, and now it's down to the very micro stuff. It's, it's no more group. It's no more macro. And that's what we're seeing down through this list a little bit. So, so these guys, last, last week it was the Nicolaitans. Now it's one person. It's this Jezebel woman. Now, I don't know if that was really her name. Some people debate this back and forth. Um, it, it just seems very coincidental that it's the same name as the person that was married to Ahab. Right? Uh, I, I, I think if I had to go one way or the other here, I think that the, he is using this name um, as uh, kind of metaphorically referencing back. It's a real person. That's not what I'm saying. It's a real person. She has a name. I just don't think it's Jezebel. I think Jezebel tells us how she thinks and operates. And part of the reason that he says this, this, this is the, the biggest reason I think he uses the name Jezebel, but I don't think it might be her real name, is because he knows, that, I'm saying Jesus, he knows that this is going to be sent to churches forever. Okay? And when we read the name Jezebel, we automatically put her into certain categories of understanding that are biblically solid going back to Ahab. We automatically do that. And he knows once you get outside the local area, the, the name Jezebel will describe who she is better, and we will understand who she is better than just using her name. Now, some people will say, 
Well, that was really her name. I'm not arguing against that. I just think you're wrong. So, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. I've had two major problems in ministry in 30 years. Two major problems. Problem types of people. People that think they're more spiritual than everybody else. They're the prophet. They're the, the, the voice. They're the ones everybody should be listening to. That, that type of person, this, this over-spiritual person, they know everything. Nobody else knows anything. And the second one are worship people. Okay, so. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> The reason the worship people is because they're all just touchy-feely, artsy peoples. And they got to feel everything. They don't ever slow down long enough to think about things. They feel everything. I, I'm a worship guy, too. You guys know that. I've led worship for years. I'm just a sensible one. And so is Sam. Where is Sam? So is Sam. I feel like I'm picking on Sam. Sam is the most analytical worship person I've ever seen. Which is also a problem, Sam. <clears throat> yeah. Process that. Analyze it. Get back with me. <clears throat> You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead, ser- to lead servants astray. Do you notice it, that um, Jesus, through, through John, Jesus is not direct, uh, actually addressing Jezebel directly? This is important. He's saying, you as a church, you're not dealing with her. You should be dealing with her. She's out of line. She's not doing the things she's supposed to, but you are supposed to be dealing with her. Jesus does not say something like, I'm going to step up and take her out. That's not, Jesus has not got that plan for any setting, any church, or any situation. That's why that we are a body. That's why, and our, our church is a good example of this. We're a true congregational church. We make our decisions together. We're not part of a denomination or anything like that. We make our decisions, and we fellowship with the assemblies of God, but we make our decisions. We're a congregational church, which I personally believe is the biblical model for this. Okay, so There's a legitimacy on bishops and presbyters and all that other stuff in a more denomination. There's legitimacy, but I think... What he's saying to this church here is, I have given you leadership. I have given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you direction. Why are you not leading and taking care of the stuff you're supposed to take care of? This woman is hurting young people. I'm saying Christians, not teenagers. Young Christians. She's hurting people. She's leading people astray, maybe even older Christians. She's leading these people astray. Why are you guys not doing something to protect the body? Why are you not taking the responsibility and stepping up and calling her on, on the carpet and saying, you're out of line, you cannot do this? Here's, here's some of the reasons that I think, because I've seen this so many times over the years. Here's one of the biggest reasons. We are scared to, uh, to, to actually address uh, spiritual inconsistency and spiritual rebellion. We're scared to death to address that. I'm not going to go into great detail, and I do not want to discuss this afterwards, but last fall, we, up until the end of the year, we had, some, we had some very similar things to this. We had some people in the church that were causing spiritual problems, spiritual dissension, spiritual stuff. Now, the board and I, we took care of it. It, wasn't, it didn't hurt us. It didn't you know, wreak havoc or whatever the case is. But it was amazing to me how many, some of you are sitting right here, how many of you allowed yourself to be pulled into the lies and the, and the, 
the inappropriateness. These people were lying. These people were doing some horrible things, and you bought it. Now, the board and I, we're, I'm not a scared individual. We took care of it, and, we, and they're no longer here. We took care of it. We did the biblical thing. And we documented all this, by the way. We did all the, the stuff biblically. But some of you guys that are mature Christians, you should have seen this coming. And you bought into it. And, and that's not okay. You've got to have more spiritual wisdom and maturity than that. Now, if you've been saved two or three years, I'm not talking to you. But this stuff's not okay. Guys, there's always going to be somebody that is trying to hinder your relationship with God. And there can be a dozen reasons why. They're not always demonic, okay? They're just wrong. And they're trying to hurt you because they have issues. You've got to be praying. You've got to be seeking the Lord. You've got to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Because you may not have people there to help you and protect you. And you may have to figure this out yourself. And you may have to... to um, Fight the battle yourself. Now, <clears throat> as long as you're part of it, this is another reason why when somebody says, well, why should I ever go to church? Here's one of the reasons. There's lots. Here's one of them. Because you have a group, you have a body that can help and protect each other. And that's what he is addressing first. He said the church should have taken care of her. And the church didn't. You're letting her lead people astray from the church, in the church setting. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols, which is exactly the same thing that Nicolaitans were doing. But now it's an individual. I gave, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. There, there's no... Um, Innocent victims. In fact, I, for the most part, I don't believe this in society in a general sense. Um, <clears throat> I do believe there is such a thing as innocent victims. But I, I think, if you, I'm just using numbers to get the point across. About 98% of people that society or they themselves think are innocent victims are not. Because the reason, that, and this, is, this comes from Psalms, this comes from Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The reason you can be taken advantage of is because you're actually desiring what they're offering. That's what Scripture says. The reason you could be taken advantage of financially is because you think there really is a free lunch and you really think that there is a pie-in-the-sky mentality. And, and the reason that somebody can trick you is because you got greed going on. you got stuff that, is, that, is, that, that Satan will use against you. It's very difficult to cheat an, a non-greedy person. It's just very difficult. But when we think, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get a... I'm going to get an angle on it. I'm going to do something. Okay, Satan's going to use that against you. It's the same thing spiritually, relationally. It's the same thing across the board. That's why Jesus is saying, this lady may have led them astray, but I'm going to hold them accountable too. Why? Because the way she led them, now obviously this is sexual immorality and, and, um, and uh, idle issues and things like that, okay? But the reason that she could so easily lead them astray, now he does point at the church and say, church, you, you should have been paying attention to this. But part of the reason these people can be led astray is because their, their spirits and their hearts are already going there. Let, let me give you a very simple way to understand this. Paul talks about that we have such a thing as a conscience. That's actually the Holy Spirit trying to speak to us. And, and I believe that overwhelmingly most of the time, and I think Scripture shows us this, that, that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us stuff. 
but we're not listening. We know when we're stepping out of line and doing something we're not supposed to be doing. We know this. We know what, we, we know what the guilt and conviction of sin feels like. But we can also train ourselves to not pay attention to it, not listen to it. The reason this woman could pull these people away is because they weren't listening in their, in their spirit. They weren't listening. Just take the sexual immorality side of this. You feel guilty when you do something sexually you shouldn't. You feel guilty. I know it's culturally just out there. Everybody has sex with everybody today. I get how the society works. I get how cultural this is. But here's the thing. Even on, on movies and TV and stuff like that, where it is the, 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 there's an agenda pushing it liberally and sexually and everything else. It's not just, hey, this is kind of a true story. No, it is being pushed. The agenda is always being pushed. You still pay attention. Because anytime uh, two people are having sex outside of marriage, there is still that guilt factor. And are you still going to be there in the morning? Or are they going to be gone? Or, and then they wake up and they're not there. And they're like, ah. Because why? Because we still know down in our spirit what's right and wrong. We still get it. Even though we have convinced ourselves it's all okay and everybody's okay and we can all do this, there's still that basic thing that the Holy Spirit does with every person. And that is he's trying to pull their soul toward Jesus Christ. He's trying. And they sense it, they feel it, they know it. Guys, that's where we got to go with this. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying? Now, here's the other side of this same thing. <clears throat> and I believe there's some legitimacy here for churches that some of the reasons churches don't um, take care of the stuff that they're supposed to take care of <clears throat> is because uh, we have been on witch hunts before in our past, and we've not done a good job with that. Okay, we under, we know that, right? But but this is actually pretty simple. If we if we use this basic formula, what does Scripture say, and are we treating it with love? We'll be right most of the time. What does Scripture say, and are we treating those people in that situation with love? We'll be right most of the time. Okay. Don't run away from what Scripture says. That's our foundation. That's our guide. we got to stay there. doesn't matter whether we like it, whether you agree with it. If this is what Scripture says, we got to stay there. And then you treat everybody with love and respect through the whole process, whatever the process is. <clears throat> it says, Then all the children will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Again, I used to think those kind of sentences were all negative. I'll give everybody what they deserve. But sometimes what you deserve is good. Now, not, not according to the human kind of context of sin and stuff like that. Yes, our, work, our best is filthy rags. That's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus knows when we're serving him and doing things that are following him. He says at the beginning of this church's uh, dialogue, he says, I know you've done these good things. Well, I'm going to give you what you deserve. Some of those things are falling into that category. You've been a church of faith. You've been in these kind of things. He's going to give you what you deserve. But he's also going to give you what you deserve uh, separate from the blood and grace, he's going to give you what you deserve until you turn to him. And you do not want what you deserve. Right? You, we all know that, right? I, I, hope we, I hope we get that. This is one of the things that just not, used to be part of our, our cultural thing. It is not a societal cultural context today that we're going to be held responsible. That's not, it doesn't exist. You're going to get what you deserve? No, I'm not. I only deserve great things. Hmm. But I also have this message for the rest of you in Theotira who, who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them. Depths of Satan, actually. I love the fact that Scripture literally uses the term deeper truths, and that is the exact term I've heard a hundred times over the years. They use that exact term. 
I've got deeper revelation, deeper truth. Do you? Because they did in theory too, and Jesus is going to slap you down. So deeper truths. Now, when I say deeper truths up here, I mean it. It's totally, totally deeper stuff. I'm not the same as these people. Okay. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. That is a great sentence. Just hold on to what Jesus has given you. Has he saved you? Hold on to that. Has he forgiven you? Hold on to that. Has he showed you his word? Hold on to that. Has he, has he showed you that he loves you? Hold on to that. Just hold on to that. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. This is millennial reign talking that he's saying. I, I think it's more than that, but I think he specifically focused on that. They will have the same authority I received from the Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So I put it in four basic categories, kind of developing this. The first one, always that as a church, we're always supposed to be working toward Jesus. This is not about working toward Church of Bargate. This is about working toward Jesus. What is Jesus wanting? What is salvation from Jesus? What is, what is um, Scripture? What is truth from Jesus? Not our truth, not our cultural understanding, not our worldview, but what is Jesus saying? We're working toward him. And I mean, sometimes we're going to have to say, including me, we're going to have to say, hey, we got off on that one. We, we missed it. Let's work back toward Jesus. Okay, always working toward Jesus. Second thing, people can lead you away from Jesus. Just, just know that. That there are bad people out there. There are bad people in churches. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. There are bad people in churches. Now, again, be careful because I think some of your personalities are going to naturally lean toward this. Well, everybody's bad then. That's not what I'm talking about. There are good people in churches too. There are way more good people than there are bad people. But just because somebody says, um, God has said this to me, doesn't mean it's true. And specifically when they say, God has said this to me to tell you, be more careful with that. This is kind of my rule of thumb. If the Holy Spirit has not already been working on me about that, see, I just think the Lord wants to tell you first. So if somebody says, hey, God told me this about you, if it's not confirming something, you, you should really hesitate greatly to the point of not believing them. Right? Because why? The Holy Spirit's going to tell you first. He will use other people most of the time to confirm. All right? This, this, I think this is a big thing. I'm actually talking about this some Wednesday night. But you know why you believe what you believe? It's not a trick question. This is interesting. The reason you believe what you believe is because you've chosen to. Now, where you get the information from, there's a plethora out there. But why do you believe what you Because you've chosen to believe that. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Why do you believe that? Because you've chosen, not because, well, he is. He's Lord, but not everybody believes in him. So the reason you believe he's Lord is because you've chosen to believe that. It's the same with anything else. When somebody tells you something, you have to choose to believe that or not believe it. This is the whole deal with all of this stuff we've been dealing with for the last six months. I am, I am choosing to search out and find what I believe is truth, and then I'm choosing to believe that. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what the government thinks. I don't care what I, I'm looking for truth, and I, I think I'm right. 
If I didn't, I would be an idiot. If I'm choosing to believe something I don't really think I'm right about, I'm, I'm looking for truth, and I'm going to choose to believe that, regardless of what somebody else says. We're so wishy-washy today. We don't really believe stuff. We just go with what the people are saying. The third thing, Jesus will punish sin. We've got to know that. Jesus is going to punish sin. Stay away from it. First, it already hurts you. Then to be punished for something that already hurts you? Come on. That's just dumb thinking. Get away from sin. You won't be punished for it, and you won't be affected by the goofiness of it, the stupidity of it, the danger of it. The fourth thing, hold tight until Jesus comes. I love that. Just hold tight. When the, the, Out of Ephesians 6, when you've done everything else, sometimes you just stand. You fought the fight, you've done all this stuff. Sometimes you just stand because you don't really have other options sometimes. Let me finish with this. James 4, verse 13. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow we are going to make a certain, to a certain town and we will stay there for a year. We will do business there and we'll make a profit. How do you know that your life will be like, what do you, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. <clears throat> I'm turning 50 this month. Um, I, <laughs> I, I thought for sure that my mother would be alive when I turned 50. I never processed that she wouldn't be. And, and just, just looking back, so we had her services last week. And just looking back, it doesn't seem that long that I've known my mom. Does that make sense? It's been 50 years, and she was way older than 50 because she was my mom. But it, it, just, it just seems like a, a blip. I... I I don't know how to verbalize that, but I'm just, obviously I've been processing that a lot the last week or two, but guys, we don't know how long we're going to be here. We don't know how long. Let's, let's serve Jesus with everything we've got. Let's put less energy, time, and resources into all the other stuff. Let's put more time, energy, and resources into our relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. Lord, I need you. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> we're going to pray. Two reasons we're going to pray. One is we always do that at the end of the service. <laughs> the second reason is because Jesus, Jesus wants us to talk to him so bad this morning. Jesus wants us to be close to him so much this morning. And he's, he's just pulling, he's just waiting, he's just whispering into our spirit just so we can connect with him this morning. Let's not waste it. Let's take the opportunity. So obviously from what we've been praying, we need to pray a couple of basic things. Lord, show me when I'm out of line. Show me when I'm wrong. Convict me, obviously, of that. And then the, the next thing would be, Lord, if I can help or, or speak life into somebody else or develop somebody else or whatever, help me to see that too. Help me to see where that responsibility is. And specifically, if somebody's being harmful in your life or your kid's life or somebody, that we, that we stand against that. Stand against sin. Stand against the verbiage that Satan throws out. So bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray for these two things. But to start off our prayer, I want to ask the question, do you know for sure Jesus is in charge of your life? Do you know? Do you know that you know? Guys, it has to start there. Everything has to start there. If you say, I don't know for sure that Jesus is in charge of my life, but I want him to be. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. All right. Okay. 
or I don't want to rush through this, but we know where we are, right? All right, so I want us to pray. And uh, you can repeat a prayer with me. Everybody in the room, please, let's repeat this prayer together. And for you that raise your hands, do the best you can to make this your prayer. We just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. So let's pray. God, we need you more than anything else. We ask you to forgive us and cover us with the blood of Jesus. Make us close to you. We ask you to forgive us of anything that we've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And help us to spend the rest of our life drawing close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, we just need you and your grace and forgiveness for salvation. We just need you. Lord, help a prayer like this dig into our spirit. Dig deep into our heart and our spirit and our minds. Lord, and so we pray, just like you told the church at Theotere, God, we pray. Lord, forgive us. Wash us clean. Help us to hold on to what you've given us. Help us to be who you've asked us to be. And God, and I pray against any kind of stuff, any kind of junk that somebody tries to do to somebody else and hurt them. Even right here at Church of Briargate. God, I don't, I don't think we've got, I don't think we've got stuff like that going on. Jesus, if we do, convict the people. Change it. Get in their, get in their head. Change them. And Lord, help us to stand up against things that are harmful to you and your kingdom. We need you so much. We need you, and we don't want anything to hinder that. So God, we pray against sin, we pray against rebellion, we pray against any kind of attitudes. Lord, we just want to be the church you've called us to be. We just want to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to grow in you. Help us to grow in you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God, I also pray. I just pray for our city. There's so many people we've talked to yesterday that you can tell they're, they're clueless. They, they're tired of all the stuff that the government's doing. They're tired of all the, the, the silliness that we're seeing with this pandemic junk. They're tired of all it, but they don't actually have an answer. God, I pray for our city. People need purpose. They need, they need to, to chase after you. So help us as a church. Everyone in this room, Lord, help us to pursue you and to tell people about you. Help us this week to talk to one person about you. God, and I just pray that over everyone in this building, me, everyone in this building, that, that we will tell one person about you this week. Give us boldness, give us discernment, wisdom, whatever we need, power, whatever we need to make this happen, but Lord, we'll tell one person about you. Jesus, we pray. Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus' name, God, we respond to that. That you're our direction. You're you're our everything. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for pulling us towards you. So, Lord, I pray that. Just what Jan said, Lord, I pray that over every one of us. God, help us to, to pursue you. Help us to pursue you in the name of Jesus. God, that's the church we want to be. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that that they're here, even if you have to make it up. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night.